This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, June 7th, and I'm Bob Davis. Our lead story this week is in pediatrics, entitled Daily E-Cigarette Use in the Surge of Jewel Sales 2017-2019. to This study identified how the 2017 rapid surge in sales of Juul e-cigarettes affected usage among U.S. youth and young adults. For five age groups, it compared a two-year incidence of first tobacco use and of new onset daily tobacco use by product and reported on levels of dependence. Social demographic variables and rates of experimentation with any tobacco product were similar between cohorts. About 600,000 Americans aged older than 21 years of age used Juul products daily in 2019, a rate 2.5 times those aged 25 to 34. The surge in U.S. Juul sales was associated with a sharp rise in daily e-cigarette vaping and daily tobacco use among U.S. youth, not young adults. Next is a study from Nicotine and Tobacco Research, evaluating treatment mechanisms of renicline, mediation by affect and craving. Negative reinforcement models posted that relapse to cigarette smoking is driven in part by the changes in effect and craving during the quit attempt. Varenicline may aid cessation by attenuating these changes. Trajectories of negative affect, positive effect, and craving were tested as mediators of the effect of varenicline on smoking cessation. This study provides first evidence from a placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial that varenicline efficacy is due, in part, to post-quit attenuation of negative effect and craving. Reducing negative effect across the quit attempt and craving early into the attempt may be an important treatment mechanism for effective interventions. A new study in substance abuse, a systematic literature review and narrative synthesis of effective interventions for family and caregivers of people who use methamphetamine. Families and friends of persons who use methamphetamine often face significant emotional distress, both due to experiencing their loved one's decline and their own feelings of guilt, fear, grief, and shame. In this systematic review, the authors examine the studies of interventions that support caregivers or persons using methamphetamine, but only found two studies. In both studies, interventions included group sessions for caregivers, information about the impact on relationships and family dynamics, and support on coping with interpersonal conflict. While both interventions did show a reduction in poor mental health and increased life satisfaction for caregivers, the review also demonstrates a paucity of data on interventions that focus on caregivers' needs beyond supporting them in their caregiving roles. Our next article comes from Academic Psychiatry, entitled Psychedelic Medicine, Creating an Introductory Course for Mental Health Professionals and Trainees. Clinical studies show significant potential for psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy to treat a wide range of neuropsychiatric conditions. Growing interest is developed among providers who seek education in this area. The Yale Department of Psychiatry created a psychedelic medicine seminar and offered it in the fall of 2020. Most learners attending this seminar reported improvement in synthesizing knowledge relevant to psychedelic medicine, enhanced understanding of historical context, and the neurobiological, psychological, and spiritual mechanisms by which psychedelics may function as therapeutics, and 
the ethical issues facing the field. Accessible, high-quality, multidisciplinary education is needed to equip the next generation of practitioners to best serve patients in the need of these novel therapies. Our next study comes to us from Sensors, entitled Virtual Breathalyzer, Towards the Detection of Intoxication Using Motion Sensors of Commercial Wearable Devices. This study collected motion data from a commercial smartphone and wrist-worn device to detect when subjects were intoxicated with alcohol. Motion data was collected from 30 subjects for 8 seconds while subjects were walking and used to analyze their gait. The first sample was obtained sober and a second after subject had finished drinking at the bar. A breathalyzer reading was obtained before each motion sample. The authors developed an algorithm for evaluating the motion data that was able to accurately detect intoxication. They note that this method requires little cooperation by the subject in contrast to breath alcohol or field sobriety tests. They call for a larger data set to be collected for a more diverse group of subjects before this method is accepted for general use. Our next study comes to us from the Annals of Emergency Medicine, naloxone dosing in the era of fentanyl. The path widens by traveling down it. This article accompanies an article describing an Australian ambulance service administering a 1.6 milligram IM naloxone to opioid overdoses. Reversal of opioid toxicity was successful at that dose. However, 40% had precipitated withdrawal. The authors assert that this leads to the patient refusing transport to the hospital after reversal and missed the opportunity to connect with harm reduction and substance use treatment. In addition, the patient may use large doses of opioids to overcome the naloxone and alleviate the precipitated withdrawal leading to a second overdose. They call for research on naloxone strategies to avoid precipitated withdrawal. Our next study comes to us from Harm Reduction Journal. Signals of increasing co-use of stimulants and opioids from online drug forum data. Little is known about when stimulants enter into the substance use trajectory of people who use opioids. The authors collected publicly available data from 14 forums on Reddit from 2011 to 2020 that focused on prescription, and illicit opioids and medications for opioid use disorder. Natural language processing was applied to generate lexical variants of all the included prescription and illicit opioids and stimulants and detected mentions of them on chosen subreddits. This data derived from real-world conversations offer insights on emerging trends in the overdose epidemic and underscore the importance of scaling efforts to address co-occurring opioid and stimulant use. Our final article comes to us from Addiction, entitled, Need for Comprehensive and Timely Data to Address the Opioid Overdose Epidemic Without a Blindfold. There is an abundance of data collected about the opioid overdoses at local and national levels. But because of constraints on availability, timeliness, harmonization, and linkage, the usefulness of data to guide response strategy is limited. Policymakers, researchers, Public health departments are often relied on data that's at least one year and often two years old. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, public health surveillance systems were rapidly developed to track cases, hospitalizations, deaths, and vaccinations, and demonstrated the usefulness of real-time data to address public health crisis. While there are significant barriers to real-time, robust, and accessible data for opioid use and overdoses, the authors in this editorial argue that such an approach is needed to adequately address the pandemic. 
This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ACM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and at ASAM.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.